0: We did uh, that departure to go into Daniel and many other books to, as I said, set the framework for what is going to happen for the most of the rest of the book of Revelation. If you remember last week we uh, pinned down that, that floating last week, that 70th week, uh, a week of years, years of 360 days, which um, is yet to take place and it will really mark uh, the end of the world as we know it. After that, the Lord Jesus will reign for a thousand years and then he will destroy this heaven and earth and make a new creation. But uh, that period, those, that last week, as we said, is called the Tribulation. The last half of it is called the Great Tribulation. And uh, it can begin any time. Actually, first the church will be, be raptured, but right after that the Tribulation will begin. And there's no event that has to take place before that can begin. And as we said before, we believe the time is very, very near. For that to begin, something has to happen in heaven. There has to be a, a scroll opened by someone who is worthy. And that's what we're going to look at today in the book of Revelation chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth." Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him, who lives forever and ever. What a scene, huh? If we were to title the message this morning, we would call it uh, True Greatness. There's a lot of symbolism in this chapter, but the symbolism is intended for something, and uh, probably the greatest lesson we can draw from this chapter is a lesson, a deep lesson, about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 1, we saw that uh, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne was a scroll. Now, some of you say a book, I think, particularly King James, I think, uses that word. The word is scroll. It literally is a scroll. And uh, when we pick up with uh, Revelation, next time we come back to it and and to start looking at chapter 6, uh, I'm going to make a diligent effort to uh, simulate a scroll with seven seals, give you an idea of um, what scrolls with their seals look like. So it was it was rolled up, a rolled up, Piece of parchment or paper, and uh, you notice it had writing on the inside and the outside, so it was written on both sides. And it had seven seals. Most of you are, fam- are you familiar with this? Uh, if you've ever seen any movies about the days of the kings and queens back in England and France, if they had an official document that they didn't want opened, except by the person who was to receive uh, the message, they would roll it up or or fold it and take some wax. Typically, they'd melt the end of a candle off, drop some hot wax. On the uh, on the crease where the where the thing is closed, and then they would put a stamp on it. Sometimes they'd have a stamp on their ring, into the seal, so it would be impossible to break that, open it without breaking the seal and show that it had been tampered with. So that's the idea here. This is, but this is uh, far above any any document that's ever been handled by an earthly king. This is in the right hand of him who sits on the throne of heaven. It's got seven seals on it, not just one. And as we're going to see, of course. It's the beginning of the tribulation. Each uh, seal, as we'll see in chapter 6, represents some sort of judgment that will come from the throne of God. But before we get there, you would think at this point, okay, let's get on with it. The action is about to start. But God has something he wants to teach us first about his son, about who Jesus is. And so he begins, uh, after revealing this, this scroll, Uh, It says a strong angel, we don't know uh, who it is exactly, Michael Gabriel, proclaiming with a loud voice, it's like a a challenge, if you can imagine, that goes out across the universe and it says, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Worthy. We want to find somebody who's worthy here. Imagine the task that's going to be accomplished by whoever meets uh, this requirement, they're going to start the judgment of the earth. I mean, imagine that. There's nobody in this room that's qualified to do that. And in fact, after the search went out, here was the answer, verse 3 and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was found. Where there's nobody, no one worthy to do this. Now, it's interesting, John's reaction. You notice he, it says he wept. He wept much, in fact. He's really overcome with sorrow here. Now, it's interesting. A lot of, a lot of uh, people think that he was sorrowful because he, the w- book wasn't going to be opened. You know, He was disappointed because he saw this book and he's not going to be able to see what's inside. But I, I, don't th- I don't think that's true. First of all, he doesn't know what's in the book. He's not going to find out until we find out which is when the book is opened. I think uh, it's closer to what Isaiah experienced in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord. Remember there, Isaiah saw the Lord, and when he saw the Lord, he realized who he was. He realized how unworthy he was. Remember that? And, And there was a deep sense of remorse that suddenly swept over him. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. And then as he thought, he realized that everybody around him is unworthy. He said, for I live in the midst of a people of unclean lives. And I think that's what it is here. John, imagine, we, we, really, we read these words and we just cannot imagine what John must have been experiencing as he had these visions. But he had just seen the call go out to all the universe and uh, it, there must be somebody out there that's worthy. And the, and the answer comes back, there's no one. And he must have just been reminded afresh of his own unworthiness. And everybody around him. And it just overwhelmed him. There's no one that's worthy. But there's good news. There is one. You see, uh, the purpose of of the challenge of the proclamation to go out and find someone worthy, it wasn't to seek information. It was really to demonstrate. God was demonstrating here that there is only one. I'm glad he did that. There's no rivals to the Lord Jesus. He he stands alone. He alone is worthy. And so really this was a demonstration to show that there's no one like him. So in the midst of his weeping, John is consoled. As one of the elders says in verse 5, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And, of course, these titles are taken out of the Old Testament. They're descriptive of the Lord Jesus. And uh, you should have noticed, if you haven't noticed before when we read this, that um, the, the elder describes the Lord Jesus as a lion. He says, Behold the lion. Now, John would expect to turn and see a lion. Now, the Lord Jesus is not a lion, and he's not a lamb, of course. He's a man. He's the God-man. He's fully God and fully man. But here's where the symbolism comes in. God is teaching John and us something about the Lord Jesus here. And so he is first described as the lion. He is. The lion. He is the sovereign ruler. He has all power. That's the idea. That's what's captivating in the picture of a lion. But remarkably, when John turns, what does he see? And not just a lamb, a slain lamb. Now, what's going, what's going on here? God is teaching him and us something about the Lord Jesus. And it's linked with his worthiness. He is the lion who became the lamb. And not just the lamb, but the lamb that was slain. We're gonna, we'll talk about that when we get to verse 12, because it's really enumerated there. But uh, as as he turns now, he describes uh, the picture that he sees of this lamb in the midst of the throne, in the midst of the creatures, and in the midst of the elders. And there are three sevens here. Remember, we said that's a big number in the book of Revelation. Seven is the number of completeness or completion, nothing missing, okay? You have it three times here. Uh, This lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out through all the world. And to me, it's a beautiful picture of, uh, first of all, the seven horns in the Bible. A horn is typically a picture of power. So he is, is all-powerful. That's, that's a picture here. All-power. Omnipotent is the theological word for it. Uh, the seven eyes, all-seeing, all-knowing, really speaks of his omniscience. And uh, the seven spirits of God, we, we've had this several times so far. Remember, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit, his completeness, his perfection, going out into all the earth. He's everywhere, omnipresent. Okay, and he takes—he he then comes and he takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he do, on the throne. Now, when he does that, it provokes worship. When he comes forward, and he's recognized as the only one who is worthy, all of a sudden a, a huge anthem of praise breaks out in heaven. Uh, he comes, he takes it. And I, I want to come on one thing here in verse 8 where it says um, the uh, living creatures and the 24 elders fell down. Notice they had a harp. And you might guess, you know, this is one of the places where people get their crazy ideas about angels in heaven. You know, if you've ever seen cartoons or pictures of some angel with fluttery wings, you know, with the harp strumming on a cloud or something. And that's not the picture here at all. Um, First of all, it's the elders who have the harps, and uh, I don't think it's the kind like Lita mom, Lita's mom uses. It's more like a lyre, which would be a handheld uh, instrument. They always know how to play them, or they wouldn't be holding them, and it's to accompany their singing. But but that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is these golden bowls that really intrigued me. They have they have bowls they are made out of gold, and Along with the the beautiful singing that's going on, there's a sweet smell in the air because there's incense. Now, I don't know, people around here don't burn incense too much anymore. When I was at Berkeley in the 60s, there was a lot of incense. You go up to a friend's room, I mean, you're overcome when you open the door, you know, by sandalwood or jasmine or something. You know, some little uh, hunks of charcoal burning over on a on a dresser or something. I used to do it myself. It was big among the hippies. maybe it still is, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it's bigger of course in, in uh, Asian and, and Eastern cultures to this day. And it's a beautiful thing. If you ever smell it It smells sweet, Is't it nice? And the neat thing about it it's so intense that it just takes a little bit you know If you've got a small room like I used to have in Berkeley, I mean you're like you're walking into a cloud, you know and it just overwhelms you. But it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And here there's incense. But the neat thing about this is this is not sandalwood or burnt wood. The thing that gives the beautiful sweet aroma and pervades heaven. Did you notice what it is? It's so wonderful. It's the prayers of the saints. Isn't that neat? You know, I'll confess. I'll be the first one. I don't place the value on prayer that I should. Look what God says about it here. He says the prayers of the saints is the incense that fills heaven with a sweet aroma. Man, what a value he places on prayer, huh? It's like an incense that just uh, fills heaven with a cloud of a sweet aroma. What an encouragement to us to pray. Okay, well, when they came in with their harps and their uh, golden bowls, it says in verse 9 that they sang a new song. I like that. Remember, they sang a song... Uh, when we were back in chapter 4, where uh, they proclaimed the Lord worthy because of his, cre- uh, his act of creation, here they have a new song. Well, if you notice, the theme is quite different from the other one. There they praised him for creation. Here he's praised for dying. It's really very simple. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And There's a lot there. We're going to look at that when we get down to verse 12. But they're saying a lot that his worthiness is for a reason. And the reason is, is because he was slain. And as a result of his being slain, uh, and by the way, this isn't some rote memorized prayer or you know, mantra or something. They're saying this from the heart. Trust me. I mean, they mean this from the bottom of their hearts. When they say worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, man, they mean that. You are worthy. They sense it in the depths of their souls. And then when they finish this, this last part of it, it's with deep thanksgiving and gratitude that they sing this. You have redeemed us to God by your blood, and of every tribe and tongue, and so on. By his death. The weakest thing you could do. Is that, that's not a strong act. Dying? And yet by this weakest of acts, being slain, the lion, who is the lamb, has done uh, the greatest thing that has ever been done, very simply put. He's taken sinners, like you and me, hell-deserving sinners, and promoted us to heaven. That's incredible. That's an infinite promotion. You, you cannot measure that. By that weak act of being slain, he, it says he has redeemed us to God. That's a, that's a small phrase, redeemed us to God. But I'll tell you, that's an infinite distance from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. And not just being brought to God uh, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, but made us kings and priests to God. Wow. Not just taken to heaven, but made higher than the angels. Isn't that great? I'll tell you, if, if you're not excited about that now, if you're a believer, you'll be excited about it in heaven. And you'll be singing this song from your heart. You'll, you'll know in a, in a fresh way what it really means. And we shall reign on the earth. Then at that point, the whole... I, I, we can't imagine what this must have been. If you've ever been to a, a Christian conference uh, or something like that, a convention, where the, I have, where there are tens of thousands of, of professing Christians in, in like an auditorium or something, and they sing a hymn. Like I remember I went to a uh, boy... Probably about in the mid-70s, we went to um, a basic youth seminar in Oakland at the Oakland Auditorium, and I think there were like 15,000 people in there. And we sang, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 15,000 voices strong. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the place halfway through the first verse. It was so moving. And just a little taste, though, of of heaven, because there's more than 15,000 here. It says, ten, in your translation, some of you say myriads of myriads. The, the number there is literally tens of thousands, ten thousands of tens of thousands. That's hundreds of millions and thousands of thousands. Imagine what it must have sounded like. It says, saying with a loud voice. Wow. What it must have sounded like. And, and in perfect unison, all agreeing. And here is their song Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive. Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And this is where I want to really focus a little attention now that we've come to this song. Because this song really captures, in a nutshell, why the Lord Jesus is so worthy. It looks simple, but it's not. You know, have you ever read these uh, songs in Revelation? And particularly the section where it says to receive power and riches and wisdom and say, I'm not sure what all that really means. I have. First of all, why does it say to receive power? Has not he already got power? Haven't you ever thought about that? Why, why does it say to receive these things? He, he can't be added to. He's already got all these things. Why does it say he's worthy to receive these things? And and it looks so simple. It just says worthy is the Lamb who was slain. There should, be, there should be a whole paragraph after that, I would think. And yet, in a nutshell... God is summarizing for us here true greatness. Uh, let me just <clears throat> go through these one at a time and see if we can get some insight. We read these words: uh, power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. And I think often it's just kind of a laundry list, and we really don't think through what. There's a distinction here. These are these are special words. You know, they don't rhyme. And yet, they are very particular words that are sung to the Lamb. Why? Well, simply put, we'll we'll begin this way very simply. The reason is, is because the Lord Jesus, you're right, had all these things. All power, all riches, all wisdom, and so on. And does. And yet, of all beings who ever possessed these things, including his created beings, he alone laid them aside. Didn't hang on to them to save our souls. Do you understand? We're the opposite of the Lord Jesus. We seek after power and and, uh, riches and wisdom and fame and glory. We hang on to them and once we get them, we don't let them go. We're just the opposite. We want to be recognized. We want to be appreciated. We want to be rich and fam- one of the rich and famous. And we tend to be self-centered. And he is the very demonstration of the opposite of the human heart. Because having all these things in infinite amount, if we can say that, he laid them aside for us. Now, maybe to you, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'll tell you, if he didn't do it, you couldn't be saved. It's that simple. Let's, let's think about them one at a time here. Power is the first one. There's a phrase that says, power corrupts. You ever heard that before? Actually, it doesn't. You know the, the corruption is already in the human nature. It's just that when the human tends to get power, they tend to abuse it. If, if you think of power in the hands of men through the ages, Uh, men and women who get power, they abuse it. They use it for their own ends. And in fact, the greater the power, it seems the greater the abuse. Uh, It's interesting that in the case of uh, the nation of Israel, when they first asked for a king, if you remember, God warned them. He said, the king's going to abuse his power. He's going to use his power to make you guys slaves, take all your money, you're going to be poor in his servants. And that's exactly what happened. And starting with that all the way through to this day, whether kings or dictators or, or presidents or whatever, power corrupts. Humans don't know how to handle it. Actually, uh, there are a lot of science fiction stories and fairy tales about people who have uh, you know unlimited power. There is no one who could be trusted with unlimited power. Imagine if there actually were a person who had that. But there is one, you see, and that's the Lord Jesus. He alone is worthy to receive power. Do you understand? Uh, He's capable. He's to be trusted. He alone should be given power. And in the case of... The, he, he demonstrated that, you see. Because having all power, if he had... When he came to this scene, if he had uh, instead demonstrated his power, instead of laying it aside, we would have been wiped out. But in a sense, he became weak, you see. He later on became weak. At the cross, where he did his great work... Uh, Prophetically in Psalm 22, he says, I am a worm and no man. You can't get any powerless than that. He became defenseless, he became weak. That's greatness, you see. Now, that's not the way we measure greatness. We measure greatness by somebody who seeks after power and acquires it. And the more power they have, the greater they are. You see? To us, that's somebody who's worthy. But that's not greatness in the estimation of God. And no one has laid aside more power than the Lord Jesus for the good of others. He is almighty God, and he died on a cross, an ignominious death, helpless, weak, defenseless, uh, led as a lamb to the slaughter. That's greatness. I'll tell you, worthy is the lamb that was slain, you see. Riches. Now, I'm not up to date. I hear there's some kind of a TV show like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that right? Is it something like that? Are they having trouble finding candidates? (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? And if you were to interview these people, why do you want a million dollars? What do you think you'd hear? So I can get rid of it, right? No. The pursuit of wealth. Everybody can relate to that. Everybody uh, knows about the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Imagine the rich one, rich and famous, just liquidating everything they have, you know, and going out. Like Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you know, "Sell all you have and give to the poor, and follow me." That's the important third action, by the way. He could say that, by the way. Don't you go around and tell people to do that. But Jesus can do that because He he already done that. He laid aside such wealth that you and I will never conceive it. And became so poor, we'll never conceive it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though He was rich, yet for your sakes, He what? Became poor. That you, through His poverty... Might be made rich. Man, I'll tell you, this is not like our thinking. It's it's so topsy turvy. It's true greatness. He was rich. It became poor. That's why you tell that young, rich young ruler, he'd done it <laughs> infinitely more than that rich young ruler could ever conceive of, and yet he was so like us because he went away sad. Why? Because he had great riches. It said that. that grasping hand. It's the opposite of the heart of the Lord Jesus. He has the open hand, you see, that released the riches and, and opened up to receive the nails of Calvary. At the cross, the one who was rich beyond comprehension had one possession, the clothing on his back. That's it. Yeah, he could have been the wealthiest man that ever lived. Praise God, he isn't like that. Wisdom. Okay. Wisdom among men. Well, typically it's a source of pride. You know, the more letters you can get after your name, Ph.D., M.S., L.L.D., you know, uh, the greater the pride. It's interesting that uh, probably the best example of uh, the failure of a wise man is Solomon. Remember Solomon? Solomon. God said, you can have anything you want. And Solomon, it sounds good. He started off, he says, I, I'm ignorant, I can't rule these people, I'm a baby, I need wisdom. And God gave it to him. But, but read Ecclesiastes, which had to have been written fairly near the end of his life. It's a depressing book. It's Solomon reviewing his life. You know what? He, he's the wise, wisest man living at that time. You know what he spent his life doing? Pursuing pleasure. That's what, that's what Ecclesiastes is about. He says, I tried everything. You name it. Stuff you'll never be able to try because I was the one of the richest and most powerful men on the earth and I was wise. And I spent my time seeking pleasure. And when I got done, I said, it's all vanity. There's, there's a wise man for you. Pleasure seeker. Ended up uh, marrying idolatrous wives, as you remember, bringing the whole nation down with him. Probably the greatest example of... Uh, the poor use of wisdom, of course, is Satan himself. I don't know if you know that. In Ezekiel 28, one of the two chapters in the Old Testament where we get a picture of what Satan was like before his great sin, there are two words that are used to describe um, his perfection. The word perfect is used is created in perfection. One is wisdom and the other is beauty. Probably one of the wisest, if not the wisest, being God created and it says he was puffed up with pride isn't that typical you know of smart people they tend to get proud the smarter they get the prouder they get that's just the way it is the lord jesus you know just think about it for a minute he could have retired as the greatest teacher who ever lived you know if you think about all these other routes he could have taken in his life there would have been no one like him surrounded by seekers of truth you know but instead, he used his wisdom for us. He he taught us, pointed us to God through himself, and even in his in his death at the trial, you know, he could have applied his wisdom. Uh, he could have come up with replies and responses that would have baffled his accusers and uh, the kangaroo courts that were convened to try him. But he opened not his mouth. The fourth word here is uh, strength in my version. It's usually translated might or ability in uh, the rest of the scripture. Power was talking about authority over others, particularly like in a ruling, a governing way. Here it's it's an individual uh, ability or strength. used to acquire money and fame, whether it's actors, singers, inventors, sports figures, painters, doctors. And if you think about it, every strength, every talent, every ability that anybody has comes from God. First Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? And in the hands of, of uh, people, great, great abilities, great strengths are typically used for self-aggrandizement, self seeking Jesus could have been the best at anything any career any prof- he could have picked a career a profession and been the greatest in the world you name it but he came for greater things than being written up in who's who and he poured out his his energies his his life in saving us from our sins well the remaining 3 items on the list honor Glory and blessing. We might rephrase these as uh, fame and praise. Being well spoken of. Being recognized. Again, people seek for these things. We seek these things. That's the natural man. And the Lord Jesus allowed himself to be scorned, mocked, and rejected. He didn't seek fame. He didn't seek glory for himself. He could have. He should have. He deserves it. But again, he laid these things aside and was willing to be rejected, mocked, scorned. It says he endured the cross, despising the shame. Again, the opposite of the human heart. He rebuked those around him by saying in John, how can you believe who receive honor from another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? So, when they're saying here, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You see, he had demonstrated by laying aside his power, not exhibiting his power, laying aside his riches. All these things of greatness that people clamor after, he laid them aside. He deferred the praise and the glory. He was... He was Willing, more than willing, to be rejected, scoffed. He, sucked the, he, he sought the low point to save our souls. The opposite of you and I. And so, he's worthy. He's worthy because, to put it simply, he was slain. He's proved by his actions that he alone, if we can put it this way, can be trusted with these things, you see. Remember, we're looking for somebody who's worthy to open the, the scroll, to unloose the seals, which is going to begin the judgment of the earth. There's no one who was more worthy to do that than the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not even a close second. When having all power, all riches, all wisdom, all strength, and deserving all glory, honor, and blessing, he chose to die. Think about that. To die for You and me, for sinners to bring us to heaven. Whereas we measure greatness as the pursuit, acquisition, and retention of power, wealth, and fame, true greatness is the setting aside of these things for the sake of others. And by this standard, there is one and only one who stands by himself, who is truly worthy, who can take the scroll. And open the seals. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There's the greatest one who ever lived. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why, earlier in this passage, He was shown to be the Lion who became the Lamb that was slain, you see. That's the picture. The One, uh, the Almighty God. Equal with God. And He became the Lamb that was slain. Let's praise Him. Lord Jesus, as we hear this song this loud voice proclaiming your worthiness, we want to add our feeble amen to it and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Lord, there is no one like you. There is no second. There is no runner-up. You alone deserve all the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You deserve it all. And so, Lord, we this morning just focus our attention on the throne where the Lamb that was slain is seated for us, the one who laid it aside, all of it, to save our souls. Lord, we look forward to the day when we can see you, not by the eye of faith, but face to face, and tell you face to face, Lord, how much we love you, how much we appreciate you for laying aside your greatness really to become the greatest by dying for us. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. In Jesus' precious name, amen.